You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today's guest is Kirsten Ackerman. Kirsten is an anti-diet dietitian and the author of The Intuitive Eating Plan. Lovingly known as The Intuitive RD on Instagram, Kirsten follows the intuitive eating and health at every size approaches in her practice. As a dietitian, Kirsten's mission is to guide her clients to restoring trust in their bodies, attuning to their own internal cues, and exploring practices of body image healing. In this episode, we talk about set point weight theory, which offers a lot of explanation to chronic dieters as to why their diets never seem to be sustainable in the long term and why you might feel you're always fighting your body and fighting biology. Trust me, you're going to learn a lot in this episode with Kirsten. And with that, please enjoy this next episode of the podcast. Hi, Kirsten. How are you? Hi, Meg. I'm doing great this morning. Excited to chat. Oh, I'm so excited to chat with you as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Yeah, I love connecting in this way. So I'm really excited to to get into it. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a lot of fun. And for today's topic, I'm just so excited because I've been searching for a dietitian to speak with me on set point theory. And I figured you're the perfect person to discuss that with the listeners and myself. So yeah, I get questions so often about set point (laughs) theory and everyone wants to know what's the deal, like whatever. So I'm excited to answer the questions that commonly come up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like set point is something that can be extremely terrifying for people with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And it can also be something that sets you free if you lean into it. Exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, before we dive into that, I really wanted to hear all about your journey about becoming an anti-diet dietitian. Of course. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I definitely got into the field of nutrition and dietetics really out of my own disordered place. And I feel like a lot of folks that I talk to who are also dietitians in this field have a similar story in that way. I grew up in a household with a dieting mom. And as I look back at it now, like I really see how like my whole family unit was very diet and weight focused. And still to this day, right, there's a lot of commentary within my family around like, how has this person gained weight? Has this person lost weight? Like that's, that's very much the dynamic and what diet are we going to go on next? And even looking at like my dad's side of the family, there's, there's some of that too. So I never had it directed at me, but I saw it playing out all around me. 
So when it came time that my body, I guess, was starting to change and it was like middle school into high school, even honestly, if I look back at like late elementary school, I developed really early. Like I was one of those people that I felt like I was sticking out because my body was changing. Mm -hmm. So I was very aware of my body starting late elementary school. And then even more so in middle school, very aware of my body. But it was really in high school when I became like hyper fixated and got into my own disordered stuff and started trying to use food to manipulate my body. But I knew there was something wrong with my relationship to food, I guess. But I thought that it was just that I needed to try harder, right? I thought I just needed to like exert better control and have more willpower. And just like, if I could exert enough control, then I would be a normal eater like the people around me, right? Like that's where I was coming from, which was like, in looking back at it, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. (laughs) But yeah. And then honestly, I mean, again, looking back at it, my life had become so fixated really on my body and food and this disordered stuff that I really didn't have a whole lot of hobbies or things outside of that. I played tennis in high school. That was definitely my thing. I was like all in on that. But other than that, I didn't really have many interests. I wasn't like super into my classes, whatever. So when it became time to like figure out what am I going to go to college for, I literally had no idea. Like I went in undecided. I was like, I I don't know. I don't know what I care about. And then I had a weird experience early in college and ended up transferring to a back towards home essentially. And then went to a community college. Cause again, I still had no idea. I'm just like, I guess I'll just like take some classes. Cause I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I took like a child development class. Like I just like, I was like, I don't know. And then <laughs> ultimately what led me into nutrition was I took an online quiz. It was probably like a 10 question quiz of what should you do when you get to grow up? <laughs> and it literally popped out with nutritionist, dietitian, whatever. And I was like, oh, well, that's like basically all I care about. So like that makes a lot of sense. I probably should go into studying nutrition. <laughs> so yeah, I found a school in the area that offered that and, and dove into it. That opened up a whole other weird situation where, again, I was so fixated and like shameful around mm. my eating because I didn't think I was a quote unquote good enough eater. And here I was going into this nutrition program And I felt like everywhere I looked, people were eating, quote unquote, in a good way. And I was trying to look like I was eating good. Like, what does that even mean? But like, that's, that was my perception at the time. And then when I was like by myself, I'd be like, whatever, ordering the takeout, ordering, like having the sweets and then like hiding the containers and wrappers and whatever. So I felt like it was all very magnified because I was in this Mm. nutrition program with folks that I was interpreting as being quote unquote better eaters. So I went through the whole nutrition program, did my dietetic internship, got my master's in nutrition, ended up starting to work in the field. My first job as a dietitian was in what I now consider the heart of diet culture. It was in a bariatric surgery, like a weight loss surgery clinic. Wow. Like (laughs) just thrown right into it. (laughs) And all of this time, never had learned about intuitive eating or health at every size. I think that was the experience of a lot of folks that were getting into the field around my time. It just hadn't quite exploded yet. But I was working in the bariatric surgery clinic when I stumbled upon Christy Harrison's Food Psych podcast. Mm. 
And that was my introduction to intuitive eating and health at every size. And it was very much one of those like light bulb firework moments of like, holy crap, this is why I've been struggling because I know we'll get into this. Like I've been fighting my biology. I've been fighting my body and it's been fighting back and I'm never going to win this battle. And like, it's not really the battle I should be fighting. And then I was looking at all the clients and patients I was working on in the weight loss surgery clinic and all of their struggles and their weight regain after surgery and their shame around food in their body. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing. So that was like what led me <laughs> into this space. Wow. That sounds like such an amazing and interesting journey just to be so immersed into diet culture, like extremely being around all those quote, perfect eaters trying to just, it sounds like there's some morality linked to that, like big time. (laughs) Yes, totally. And then going, oh my gosh, going to a weight loss clinic to be a dietitian, and then stumbling on health at every size and the anti-diet movement. And I could imagine it just felt like everything clicked. Totally. And it's so interesting because I talked to some folks that have come to this space and they're like, when I first learned about intuitive eating or health at every size, like I was skeptical and I wasn't sure. Like I read the whole intuitive eating book and I was, and I didn't actually get it. And then other people who are like, no, 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 no. When I stumbled upon it, it was like, there was no going back. Like I was forever changed. And I I'm definitely in that second camp. Like I was primed and ready both because of my personal struggles and experiences, but also because of professionally what I was seeing in that space in the weight loss surgery clinic. I can relate to what you're saying because with my experience, I felt like I was constantly fighting my body and just getting into that weight cycling loop in a way. Mm -hmm. And it just feels so powerless. So then when you read about set point theory and health at every size, you're like, oh, this is a great explanation for why I've been stuck. And it's so interesting because again, I can remember how I felt like when I was on that weight cycling cycle as well, like I was like, why do I keep getting to the point where I have no willpower left? Right. Why do I keep getting to the point where I'm like, well, F it, I'm just going to like have all the stuff. And it's like, when you look at it through this lens of set point theory and what's going on physiologically, it all makes a lot of sense. And it all of a sudden Mm -hmm. becomes this situation of like, oh, it wasn't a failure of myself. It was a success of my body in protecting me and Mm -hmm. keeping me safe. So it's a very different lens to look at it from and one that's very freeing for sure. Mm -hmm. So true. So for everyone listening, could you explain what is set point weight theory? So basically set point weight theory is the theory that our bodies protect a particular weight range. Now I know we'll get into more of this, but it's not like you can go to a doctor and find out what your set point rate range is. However, it's very similar to body temperature and how your body really protects particular range. Because if you get too high in your body temperature, right? If your temperature goes above what 103, 104, like it's not conducive to life. It feels unsafe. Like you're very highly threatened at that range. And the same thing if your body temperature gets too low, right? Like it doesn't support life. So your body works very hard to keep you in a range. And it's the same thing with weight. Basically, it has this range of weight that it feels comfortable and safe at. 
And if you dip below, it's going to try to pull you back. If you go to the higher end, it's going to try to pull you back as well. So that's essentially what the theory is. It's that our body is trying to keep us in that homeostasis with body weight the same way it would with temperature. I find that that's so relieving to hear, at least from my perspective. And I know that there's so many people who really struggle with this concept, but it's just a really helpful reminder that your body is always working to help you survive. It wants you to thrive as best as it can. Like, obviously there's things like chronic illness and autoimmune disease that come into play, but yes, oftentimes your body is working really hard to help you live and thrive. A hundred percent. And I think it's interesting too, because so often when we're in the throes of disorder, eating, eating disorder, you really do feel like if I don't control this, my body will be out of control forever. And this theory really shows us actually when we let go of control, that's actually where we end up finding a sense of control because we're working with our bodies and allowing our bodies to drive the bus and they will find a range they're happy to maintain. And you don't have to be monitoring anything because whatever, when you have a little bit more because it's a holiday, a little bit more to eat, you're not moving as much, like your body's going to go back to that range. And on the flip side, it'll want to go back to that range. It's going to take care of it, right? Whereas when you're in the throes of the disordered stuff, it feels like you have to manage it. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you mentioned the concept of fighting biology. And I was just wondering if you could explain how this relates to chronic dieting and set point theory a little bit. Yeah. So when I'm talking about fighting biology, what I mean is if we have a set point weight that our body is happy at wanting to be around and we go on a diet to try to manipulate, because we decide, no, my body shouldn't be this size or, or whatever. And there's a lot of things that go into that, of course, mentally and physically. But if we decide we think our body size should be smaller, so we go on a diet and we eat less or whatever, our body is going to sense that it's not getting the amount that it feels safe getting. It literally is going to be able to detect when fat cells are shrinking, like things like that are going on. And what ends up happening is your body fights back with a slew of biological mechanisms, things like forcing you to think about food more, right? So often when you're in that like diet mode and you're not getting enough, you're thinking about food constantly. And not only are you thinking about food constantly, but you're going to be driven towards the foods that give you the quickest, highest amount of energy, Mm. right? So the things that are going to sound good, won't be a plate of broccoli or a salad. Like what's going to sound good is the really quick carbohydrates, right? Maybe the bread, the rice, the pasta, the sweets, the ice cream, right? The things again, that have a lot of quick sugary energy, which is awesome. Like, again, it makes sense. And it's so awesome because your body is fighting to get you that quick energy so that it can return to its happy, safe place. But Mm. of course, when you're in that dieting mode and that cycling mode, you're like, why can't I stop literally dreaming about ice cream? Like I'm going to sleep and I'm dreaming about ice cream. And it's like, (laughs) that's your body trying to convince you, right? Literally it's trying to get in your mind and convince you to eat. I think it's so interesting because so often in like diety spaces. And certainly when I was in the weight loss surgery clinic, there's a lot of talk about mental hunger as if like that was not a valid thing. Mm. And it's like, 
no, no, no. Mental hunger is your body. Like one of its last ways of, again, trying to get you to eat when you are totally disconnected from your physical cues or you're totally not listening to them. It's like, okay, well then we'll just daydream or night, (laughs) have night dreams (laughs) about ice cream. But yeah. And then other mechanisms, I mean, certainly the thinking about food, the being driven towards the high calorie, simple sugar type stuff. And then it's going to make you hungrier in general. It's also going to delay satiety cues. So you're, Mm. you can eat more and still not feel full. And then maybe the fullness all hits you at once, like way after. Right. So it's like when you're in that mode of, I know I'm full, like you're trying to like be mindful and you're like, I know I'm full, but like, I can't stop eating. That's probably your body trying to convince you to keep eating more. It also is going to like slow all the mechanisms going on in your body, right? Often we talk about this as metabolism, which I'm always careful to say, because I feel like it's such a loaded word, but Mm -hmm. the point is your body's going to slow down everything it's doing so that you're not using as much energy. So even if you're on a diet and you're taking in less, now it's going to compensate for that by using less. It's working really Mm. hard so that the energy you are taking in is going to be enough. And essentially so that you won't lose weight, you'll remain safe. So these are the kinds of like biological mechanisms that are happening when you are trying to diet and you're trying to fight this biology and your body's just going to keep working harder and harder and harder to get you to, to essentially convince you to eat so that it can get back to that safe point. I remember being in that point of fighting my body, like desperately trying to, and not really understanding why I was fighting so hard. Like Mm -hmm. it just felt like I had an issue with willpower or discipline. And then there would be a moment where I felt like my body would hijack the situation. And even Mm. though I really wanted to resist the food, like mentally I was resisting the food, my body took over control and I would just binge and eat everything in sight. And so that just felt really uncomfortable because mentally I really didn't want to be eating, but my body was just (laughs) taking advantage of the fact that there's food around and that it's time to start restoring my weight back to its healthy set point range. Yeah. And that's such a scary feeling for people, right? To feel like, I mean, it's that true out of controlness and you're just like in another zone and it's just taking over and you come out on the other side of like a binging episode, an overeating episode. And you're like, what just happened? And what is wrong with me? that I couldn't control that and that I just lost control, right? And it's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. It's again, and I know it's so hard to frame it this way when it feels so scary and it maybe you end up feeling sickly full and and all of these things, but really it's your body taking over again so it can protect you, so it can keep you safe. And this is just the outcome of trying to fight biology. The outcome of trying to fight your body and fight biology is that it's going to fight back and it's going to be uncomfortable when that happens. Yeah, it was so uncomfortable. And honestly, it's just something I hope that individuals can really take in this theory and start to recognize that they can let go a little bit. And even though it might feel scary, feel like you're out of control at first, the more you allow yourself to eat, give yourself permission to eat 
show your body that you're actually responsibly feeding it, the less likely you're going to feel out of control around food. Yes. And what I often see happening is, you know, folks engage in binge behavior or whatever. And then what happens after that is the thoughts of, oh my gosh, I need to get back on track. Oh my gosh, I need to compensate for this. And whatever that whole mindset of like shame and judgment and guilt, and Mm -hmm. I need to make up for this, which is essentially all of those things are returning to a restrictive mindset. Whether or not you actually end up restricting the next day or not or whatever, the point is that you're in this mindset of, I can't do that forever, right? And what you're really saying to your body is, I'm not going to let you protect me. (laughs) So your body's going to get freaked out and it's going to keep fueling the binging behavior. The difference when you are working towards intuitive eating and working on this healing process is you're not going to return to the restriction, right? You're going to work on throwing a wrench in that cycle of Mm -hmm. having that mindset of, I have to do better. I can't binge anymore. I can't eat like this anymore. And instead you're going to keep moving forward, like you said, right? And keep allowing that permission. And that's Mm -hmm. what's going to get you to a place where your body doesn't feel a need to engage in the binge behavior because it's starting to feel safe again. Right. I think a lot of it is teaching your body that it can trust you again. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that's exactly how I felt it as going through that experience was, okay, now I just have to teach my body that I am going to take care of it. And that I am a responsible owner of this body. And and now it totally trusts me. I respond to my hunger signals and all of that. So yeah. um, And it's so hard. The first step is like, trying to act like when you don't feel it fully yet, but trying to act like you trust your body or trying to play with this idea Mm -hmm. of, okay, I trust that my body is going to take care of this. I trust that my body will naturally honor fullness when I'm really eating enough and all of that. Right. So it's like taking that first step and it's really a leap of faith in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And then you do that. And then it's like, okay, now I've got to give my body time to trust me that I'm going to continue this. Mm -hmm. So one question I get a lot from clients is it's actually more of an expression or comment on their fear which is they're afraid that they will never stop eating Mm. (laughs) and that they will just gain and gain. And that scares so many people because there's no body trust there. So how would you answer someone who has that question or concern? I would say it makes a lot of sense given the fact that you have been existing in this diet binge cycle, right? All you've ever known of your body is that when you let go of control, quote unquote, or you more like quote unquote, lose control, right? It's really, you're losing control when you're in that diet binge cycle. It's chaotic. You feel like there's no end to your appetite and you can't stop binging and you do gain weight, quote unquote, fall off track. It's chaos that feels like it never ends until you jump in and try to gain control. So like that has been your experience, but you don't know what happens when you don't jump in and try to gain control, right? Mm. And the thing is that the trying to gain control, the trying to jump in and micromanage and fix it is what's fueling the cycle. So if we take that out of the equation, then you don't know what happens. So that's the good news is you actually don't know what's going to happen when you do that. And hopefully again, 
this set point theory and better understanding that your body does want to get to a place where it can protect and it range where it's just happy. Hopefully knowing that eases your mind. I think this example came out of one of the books by Lindo Bacon, like the health at every size or body respect, but they described in it how, like if you use the example of, I don't want to give numbers or anything, but use the example of an older man who maybe has gained a few pounds from when he was in his thirties to when he's in his fifties or sixties. Like it's not totally uncommon for someone who hasn't been dieting or anything. Like maybe they've fluctuated a few pounds in those few decades. Right. And it's wild to think about all of the food that they've taken in over three decades and what their body has been able to do to adjust. It's not like he's calculating what he's taking in. He's just eating. Mm-hmm. And his body has been able to adjust and make sure that he stays in that range because it wants to stay in one range as much as it can. So when you're not fighting it, our bodies are actually insanely good at managing and keeping our weight in one place. Of course, there's a lot of other variables that can come in. You mentioned chronic illnesses. There's certainly like accidents, there's medications, there's surgical things, there's all sorts of things that kind of come into play. But if we're just looking at variable staying consistent, yeah, our bodies really do a great job of staying in one place. I love that. One question I have, and I'm, I'm just thinking through the lens of people with eating disorders. And oftentimes the team gives them a range they want to aim for. Mm. (laughs) And that might not be their set point range. It could be maybe a little below that range, maybe a little above. What advice do you have for people who are given like a weight range on their team, but there's no real way of knowing if that's your actual set point range? In my opinion, again, nobody knows. I mean, we can talk a little bit more about like, how do you arrive at your set point? We can certainly talk about that, but like, there's no like test that can be done to know exactly what your set point is. And I think the point in my head of a team providing a range to aim for is like, let's just make sure we're moving in the direction of a a Mm. body that can, Mm -hmm. that will be supportive to you. And really, again, in my mind, we're going to know that based on a million other factors that have nothing to do with weight, but it's just this like goalpost that need to be set in stone. So I don't know. That's my thought on it. Yeah. I'm, I'm right with you there. I think sometimes it's a range given to the patient just to make sure that their body can support life and that you're not in danger and that you can live, you can be in a point where you have the potential to thrive and your health is supported. But I know that so many people with eating disorders, they'll just aim for that minimum number on the range and then be afraid to move above that. So I think I'd love to cover that point that you brought up, that there are so many signs that you're in your set point range. And I'd love to know what those are. Yeah. Again, as you were talking to, I'm just thinking like, ultimately your body's going to drive the bus, right? Like if you're in a place where, and I know it's challenging for multiple reasons, but if you're in a place where you're trying to like get your body to one number on the scale and stay there, like, it's just like, we're still in that micromanaging place. We're not yes. letting our body drive the bus. Like that's not fully healed, right? Trying to... Mm. Mm -hmm. find one weight, whatever, even if it's in the range that we're saying is. That's such a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like focusing, even if you're in whatever your team's range is for you, that's still a hyper focus on a number when really we need to be thinking about what our full experience is and how our 
thinking about food, how we're feeling around it, how we feel in our bodies. And that's really the ultimate decision maker on if you're actually in the right body size for you, right? Exactly. Understanding, yeah, checking in with yourself. Totally. Yes. When we talk about like, how do you know you're in that set point range? It's, it's going to be based on your experience, right? I think that if you're in your set point range, you're not thinking about food very often, unless it's like time to eat or some like planned event in your whatever it's coming from this like happy, supportive, joyful place, but you're not thinking about food very often outside of that. You're naturally maintaining, right? That's another thing. Like if you're naturally staying around the same size without thinking about it, and you're moving your body in a way that feels supportive and is aligned with what your body's asking for. You're honoring your cravings without thinking about it. You're not having the guilt and the shame going on. Like you're eating fairly regularly throughout the day. Like those kinds of things. If all of that is going on and you're relatively maintaining your weight without even thinking about it, you're probably at your set point range. It's going to take time to get there if you've been in that place of fighting biology. There's no like, it's going to take exactly this amount of time, but like probably in the order of a a couple of years, really for your body to fully feel settled and comfortable. But that's also different for everyone. And also as you get further along, you're getting closer and closer and and there's less variation in your weight as it settles, right? So it's like a trend (laughs) towards where it's like finally stable. Mm -hmm. Yes, so true. I think there are so many people who are stuck in dieting who they make jokes like, oh my gosh, I can just look at an Oreo and gain five pounds. Yes. (laughs) And if you categorize yourself as someone who would say something like that, I feel like that's a sign that you're not in your weight range because a few Oreos shouldn't have such a huge impact on your size. If it does, that's because you're fighting biology. That's because you're fighting Mm -hmm. your set point, right? Your body is so good at bringing you back to your set point when you're under it, especially when -hmm. you're under that set point, because you've been in that diet mode, a few Oreos very well might like bring you back up. It doesn't even feel like it makes logical sense, but your body is so primed to regain that it'll, Mm -hmm. it'll just like do what it's got to with those few Oreos. So yeah, like if you're in that place where that's happening, or you're having those kinds of thoughts, it's probably because you're not in that set point range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What if you're above your set point range? What happens to your body when you're in that place? It's interesting because first of all, your body protects your set point range, but it likes to protect, especially against the lower, right? So like if you're under your set point, that's a lot more threatening and scary Mm -hmm. and your body's going to fight harder to get you back to your set point than when you're above. Cause above it's like, okay, we have more than enough reserves. Like that's not feeling super threatening. And yet your body does still protect against it to some degree. If you're above your set point weight range, likely the things that are probably contributing are a disordered relationship with food, maybe binge eating behaviors, maybe like the disordered relationship with movement going on. And there's a lot of rebellion against any sort of movement and you're not aligned with what your body's asking for related to movement. So those kinds of things certainly can contribute to you being elevated and above that set point range. And when healing happens, like potentially the weight settles back down. The thing is though, our body doesn't protect quite as much on the higher end and our body's more likely to adjust our weight set point a little bit up 
if it feels the need to. So yeah, I don't know. That's what happens, I guess, at the higher end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I still think, and I know for a fact, people listening to this are probably freaked out hearing that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I do want to just say to individuals who are on this journey of discovering their set point is that if you connect with peace with food and you do let go of your disordered behaviors, there is a very good chance that you will eventually find that set point range that's right for you. Right. So it's like, yeah, your body again, just reassurance wants to be in the optimal range. So it will do what it can to bring you to that point. But yeah, I think a little reserves, I mean, from a health standpoint, that's totally okay. Cause think about your body's perspective. Like, okay, I was just in a artificial famine. I guess just to wrap up my thought is if your body's in a self-induced famine for a really long time, but your body might want to have a little reserves there for a few years, just to make sure that you're safe. Exactly. And honestly, as we're talking about this too, and I'm thinking of the folks that are out there listening and and worried as they're listening to this, I think the other thing to remember, I mean, we're having this conversation about set point weight, but I think for the most part, if you catch yourself thinking about what is my set point weight? Like, how am I going to get there? Am I there yet? When am I going to be there? Like, that's also a disordered track of thinking. And Mm -hmm. like we touched on before, like coming back to like, what is my experience, my body? Like, how am I feeling around food? How am I feeling related to movement? How am I feeling in terms of connectedness? Like coming back to that place, because focusing on your set point weight, or am I there? When am I going to get there is still a very external Mm. thing versus an internal experience. So again, although we're having this conversation and it's something to chat about and think about, I also don't think it's a great place to like, be fixating on, you know, yes. in recovery. <laughs> so true. It should not be fixated on. I think what I want people to connect to is the food freedom that mm. being at your set point range, which by the way, that range could be 10 to 15 pounds, maybe so, more. Yes. So it's a very comfy range to live at. It's not like a range of two pounds or something like that. I don't know. We didn't say that in the beginning, but it is a comfy, (laughs) it's a a comfy range. Yeah. I think another misconception that a lot of people have around set point weight is like, you're born with this again, like one specific set point and it's like predetermined and like whatever. And like, that's what I need to get back to. But I think it's just important to acknowledge that certainly genetics are a huge factor Mm -hmm. in your set point weight. And usually that comes from like one side of your family, right? And that's why so often you can look at a side of your family and be like, yeah, like I am around that. But also all these different variables throughout your life that are going to affect your weight set point. And it's not like your set point when you were in high school or in college or 20s, whatever, is your set point forever because it's normal for your set point to fluctuate a bit over your life. Again, often in the upward direction a little bit, but I think it's important to note that because I think people get stuck on like, well, I was comfortably easily maintaining that size when I was 17. So like that should be my size forever. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the case. That is such a helpful reminder just to remember that your range evolves throughout life, right? So your range is going to change between like high school, first of all, 
I think the fixation on wanting to be at your high school body is so strange, especially like when you become a full grown adult, like it's unnatural to literally still a child, right? You're still literally still a child. (laughs) Yes. I always question the emotional development of someone who's really fixated on their childhood body. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I always question that. I was like, so emotionally, did you stay there too? Yeah. And how is that benefiting your life? Right. That's a good point. Wow. (laughs) But but over time, even like if you reach menopause, that range is going to change. And I see that a lot. Individuals getting really upset when they reach menopause because their body, just the range changed on them. And we have to accept that. We have to work on continuously accepting that wherever I feel the most free around food is really where my body wants to be. A hundred percent. And it's so hard because we're fighting against this system and diet culture that tells us this story that no, like you should be again, always fighting your body to stay young and to stay one size, to stay in those pants you wore 30 years ago or whatever. So it's like, people don't realize that it's normal for your set point weight to change. They don't realize that hitting menopause, like it's super normal for your body to totally change. And like, you don't need to fight that. It doesn't make sense to fight it. It's going against what your body actually wants to fight that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And fighting it just brings so much emotional torture that's unnecessary for your life. And it probably causes more harm in your life than if you were actually to just accept that range. I actually heard this amazing quote this week that blew my mind. Hopefully I don't botch it right now, (laughs) (laughs) but basically it said your resistance to the thing you're afraid of is actually more painful than experiencing that thing. Oh, that's super good. That's really interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's like what people with eating disorders are experiencing on a daily basis. They're really afraid of experiencing their body at a larger size. Yes. So their resistance to experiencing that is actually causing them so much more pain day to day, emotional obsession with food, roller coaster, self-harm in a way, just like starvation, all those things causing you so much pain. When in reality, if you just accepted that thing you're afraid of, you probably wouldn't be suffering so much. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. That's a helpful reframe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I just yeah. heard that this week. I'll probably be saying it on every episode <laughs> for the next like year. <laughs> you quoted it really well. It came out, came out perfectly. <laughs> uh, thank you. I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yes. So What's some advice you have for those working towards accepting their body size the way it's meant to be? I mean, I think there's so many things, but I think the first thing that comes to mind is honestly like curating your social media. If you're on social media, making sure that you are following accounts that are showing more diverse bodies. I mean, such a big part of diet culture brainwashing is in the media we consume and the movies and the shows. And I mean, again, social media has become such a big part of what we're consuming and we have some control over it. So unfollowing the accounts that are not making you feel good, maybe that are run by accounts with folks that have the stereotypical body, whatever, anything that's not making you feel good 
for whatever reason, even if the account isn't necessarily harmful. And then again, really going out of your way to follow those accounts with more diverse bodies and exposing yourself over and over again. It's going to take time, right? To put up anything against all the other messaging that's coming in. But if you start now and you build that, it's going to be really helpful just to be exposing yourself. And it Mm -hmm. becomes more normalized in your mind to have a wider range of bodies. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I feel like that piece of advice is so helpful, even though we probably hear it very often in the recovery spaces, the sooner you can do that, the more normal these different body shapes that we're not used to seeing on social media or movies or TV. Once you see those around you more often online, you're like, okay, I've been stuck in this bubble (laughs) and the world isn't actually like that. It's so interesting. It's so true. Cause I know I hear people talk about social media and I'm like, I don't feel that way at all with social media, but it's because I've had years to be (laughs) curating my feed to just be following accounts that really serve me. So it does make a huge difference, but it takes time to get Mm -hmm. there. I think the other thing that comes to mind too, about like making peace with your size and your body is a perspective shift of remembering that when you're in those moments where you're feeling so afraid of your body changing, and it's just like taking over you or afraid of how it has changed, reminding yourself that like, it's actually not about your body in that moment. There's some deeper discomforts that are going on, deeper anxieties that it feels easier to focus on your body than to tap into those. But tapping into those is what's going to be really healing, right? And it's like asking yourself the question, like, what do I believe would be different if I snapped my fingers and I was just whatever body I think would be like, great. What do I think would be all of a sudden different, Mm. right? Would life just be really easy? Would everyone accept me? Would I not be so obsessed? Maybe I wouldn't be obsessed with food anymore. wouldn't have to think about it all the time. It's like, it starts to shine a light on what it is you're actually looking for. Peacefulness, freedom, acceptance, Mm. like all of these other things. And I just think it, it takes the power a little bit away from the body stuff when you remind yourself that that's actually not what it's really about. Yes. Dieting is often about just an unmet need. Yes. That you're trying to connect to or give yourself the improper way, right? Yes. So that question really helps highlight what is important to you. Mm -hmm. And then we really have to be honest with ourselves if like the diet is actually going to get you there. And that answer is no. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like not only will it not get you there, but also it's going to be so damaging in so many other ways along the Mm -hmm. way, right? So it's like, realizing that and connecting to that can really shift a lot, I think, in terms of the recovery journey. Yeah. I really want everyone listening to call out their hope that might be a false hope. Mm -hmm. I like to joke with my clients and call it stupid hope. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is this actual hope or is this stupid hope? Am I just getting (laughs) caught in something that's not real? It's not honest. And usually that promise you're diet or eating disorder gives you it's stupid hope, unfortunately. Yes, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think yeah. any way of like just being able to quickly call out that thinking can be mm-hmm. really helpful in giving yourself that like separation from that thinking and being like, no, 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 that's stupid hope or whatever else you want to call it. <laughs> that's so helpful. Yeah. There's good hope too, but sometimes there's <laughs> stupid hope. 
Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I truly, truly appreciate you here. How can people listening find you online? Yes. So I am on Instagram at the intuitive underscore RD. And I also have a podcast intuitive bites podcast. I just hit like over a hundred episodes. So lots of free. Yeah. And they're all like very quick and easy episodes, like 20 to 30 minutes. So definitely check that out. And then I also have on my Instagram in the link in my bio, a free piece with food training. It's like a 45 minute video training that people can just watch. So I definitely recommend that. Wow. Okay, great. So everyone listening, go check those resources out. And Kirsten, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much for everything. You too. Thank you, Meg. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the show. Before I let you go, I wanted to let you in on a little something exciting happening soon inside the Recovery Collective. This May, the Recovery Collective will be collaborating with Project Heal to celebrate their 14th birthday with a two-week recovery extravaganza on social media called the 14 Days of Healing. The cool thing about Project Heal is that they are the only nonprofit working to provide equitable access to eating disorder treatment. Project Heal also provides life-saving support through treatment placements, free insurance navigation help, and cash assistance grants. We are so proud to be working with them because it will not only be impactful, but it will be so fun and connecting to those in the eating disorder recovery spaces. Registration for the event starts on April 21st, so please make sure you're following Project Heal, and the Recovery Collective to sign up. All right, that's it for my big news. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of the podcast, and I look forward to seeing you all inside the 14 Days of Healing event with Project Heal. We are so excited for it. Have a beautiful day, and I will catch you next time.